Welcome to Scream Quest, a limited run series brought to you by Scream Quest for the month of October, where we, where we will be diving into the world of horror films uh, through a series of guests and fan voted selections. I'm one of your hosts, Chris Waterman, joined as always by Mae Finch. Hello, hello. And Will Rotondi rocking a costume for the first episode. I love it. <laughs> hey, if how's you're, it going? If you're not watching on YouTube, you are really missing out. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, if you're not watching on YouTube, you are indeed missing out. Uh, we do all kinds of little fun things like visually and uh, you get to see our, our lovely, you know, faces and, and body language and expressions and all the, the fun stuff that comes with a video podcast. Uh, on today's episode, we are going to be discussing two films uh, for our creature feature, the first of which is Mad God, uh, which is a Phil Tippett created, written, directed, stop motion animation film. And uh, the second of which is An American Werewolf in London, the 1981 John Landis uh, werewolf creature feature. So uh, unfortunately, our guest, David, could not make it kind of a last minute um, to schedule conflict. Unfortunately, uh, we're going to talk about his film regardless. David, we hope to have you on the podcast sometime soon. Um, so ordinarily, we would have a fourth chair here, just not this episode. Uh, but don't worry, there are plenty of guests uh, down the road. So without further ado, let's jump into mad god which uh i wouldn't categorize as a creature feature per se there are lots of creatures in it but also i don't know how you would peg this fucking movie <laughs> within like the horror genre so you might as well call it a creature feature i suppose but uh we'll start with general impressions and then i just figure like we can let the conversation meander wherever it goes uh for this so yeah may... did we uh oh, I'm I'm so sorry. Were we going to do a side quest or? Uh, we're going to do that between the movies. We're going to we're going to okay. chop it up a little different for Scream Quest. I think uh, what we'll do probably each episode is discuss a movie, draw a side quest to break it up, and then discuss another movie. And of course, ordinarily, if we had a guest host, we would spend some time getting to know them up front. But yeah, uh, no side quest at the top. We'll be kind of doing things just a little different. Cool. I totally knew that and was just asking for the benefit of the audience. <laughs> so good. Hey, hey, like now they know too. So like no harm done at all. Um, um but yeah, bad God. Um <laughs> yeah, I think I I think I messaged y'all like multiple times about the fact that I have no idea what to say about this movie. And it's not like a bad I don't know what to say. It's uh I am very impressed and had a visceral reaction to so many parts of this movie. And yet I could not tell you what it was about kind of reaction. Um, I will say just like with regards to the stop motion, I've never seen it like, I guess, used in this way and so creatively. And um, I just, I respect the hell out of all of the technical skill and effort that went into making this. I think I saw like somewhere that it was made over the span of like 30 years, just because it's been this guy's kind of pet project. And that's really cool um the uh, effort just like does definitely show but it's not what i was expecting for sure 
yeah i uh, so far so good i think i i, <laughs> I agree with all those sentiments uh absolutely <laughs> uh will uh what what did you make of it give me your just like initial gut reaction to to the movie <laughs> there was a lot of shit uh no it was <laughs> and not in like uh like also not saying the movie's a, a shit show but it was like a literal shit show there was so much like feces and just other just gooeyness i think may even made a comment about that too just had never seen stop motion that was as gooey as what we saw <laughs> here um which isn't necessarily a criticism because that seems exactly what, what it's going for it's going for stuff that is disturbing and grotesque and some very strange version of hell uh, that I hope we never have to experience, but um, to just the set design and the actual like mechanics of it, I thought were fascinating. Even though for me, this is definitely not like a film that I would probably normally have like gone for if I, well, I take that back. It's a 50-50 because I thought it looked fascinating from like the, the preview that I had seen leading up to before we watched this. But having actually seen it now, I'm like, I don't, I don't know if this would be like a second run for me kind of thing. And that's just personal preference. That's not necessarily anything negative to say about the film. Because everybody's got a, a different take on horror, like any other genre. And for me, I thought it was, I just thought it was really cool, just the, the stop motion um, and the set design. Uh, I did think it was interesting, and we could probably talk about it within this, how there are actual, like, real people that do show up for about three or four different scenes in the film uh I thought that was an interesting choice to make it that way I I kind of almost expected like the entire movie to be stop motion and so that was a bit I don't know necessarily strange um it more so probably just a, a with a reason behind it um so based on how we want to interpret that since pretty much the entire film is open to interpretation uh since there's like zero dialogue except for maybe like one part over a radio that you hear at the end so but yeah so I guess longer the short of it was that was a lot of goo <laughs> <laughs> a lot of goo uh yeah you put that on like the the blu-ray release or something you know um there's a lot of goo uh screen, screen quest <laughs> oh man um yeah i had to do a double take for some of those like real people and like mm -hmm. i think i rewound the first one where i was like is that just like really good stop no okay that that's a real person um just because it was a little bit jarring mm -hmm. um i i pondered a little bit about like what the reasoning behind that because like stuff like that's not really accidental so I don't I couldn't land on if it was like some sort of technical limitation which doesn't seem likely or if there was like some symbolic reason behind it maybe highlighting uh like specific characters for for reasons but I, I couldn't quite suss it out in you know my reflection of like what it all really meant I, I, okay. I do have a one thought on that. I don't have many thoughts on this movie, but <laughs> uh, I do feel like it, it does kind of blur the lines of reality a little bit because the the thing opens with this tower of Babel imagery and the quote from, I guess, Leviticus about mm -hmm. uh, basically a, a, a wrathful God, right? And um for for me, it's kind of a like the film is a thought experiment, but then bringing actual people into it is kind of like, but but is it is it so far removed from our current reality? Like asking that mm. question a bit. That that was my thought. Anyway, continue, Chris. No, no, that's okay. Um, I think that's 
as valid like i think a lot of what we're going to probably land on this like not to jump the gun too much is that like uh, pretty much any interpretation of this is probably going to be valid as any other because it doesn't really explicitly lay much out for you right um and I, i'll kind of connect that to like what my impressions were which i i really really enjoyed the experience of this movie uh i i like that it kind of demanded your attention like it's not something like where you could peek down at your phone you know because mm -hmm. there's just a lot going on uh visually and um it's hard enough like there's no traditional narrative right there's very little dialogue as you've pointed out already and i think like you could easily get more confused if you're not paying full attention and i totally respect it for that i thought the like overall i loved it like i, I think the animation was gorgeous uh for those of you in our audience who don't know who phil tippett is like he did a lot of the special effects for the star wars trilogy the original so return of the jedi i think like the rancor uh, the ATATs and things like that. Um, he is a master of his craft. He was originally going to do stop motion dinosaurs for Jurassic Park. And famously, the line that ended up in Jurassic Park, um, you know, we're out of a job, don't you mean extinct? Like that whole exchange <laughs> was a real thing that happened when he saw the CGI uh, dinosaurs um, and was Aww. like, oh, fuck, like uh, the world and film, I'm watching it change before my very eyes, right? Uh, but in any event, like I, I love that this thing exists, uh, that he got to complete the passion project. Um, it, I would describe this as, as more of an experience than like a traditional film. I, I mm -hmm. think that's the best way I could um, lay it out for somebody that hasn't seen it. Um, Marianne was super impressed, man. She was like just enthralled the entire time. She just loved the mm -hmm. artistry of it. And um, I was surprised by that. Like after like the first 20 minutes, I was like, uh-oh, like <laughs> I have a feeling Marianne's going to go off in search of uh, some gardening chores or something like to get away from this. And uh, she's over here saying, yeah, she loved it. She's from the <laughs> <other> room. <laughs> nice. So, um, that was, that was, you know, uh, I think like a, a pretty good in endorsement, um, you know, for uh, somebody who maybe doesn't gravitate towards like sci-fi-ish stuff and i think this has elements of that mm -hmm. um but yeah i guess that's my general impressions and and kind of where we were at with it uh i don't know how frequently if ever i would rewatch this but i would watch i would go back and rewatch like segments of this because i think there was some parts that were genuinely just really impressive and beautiful or terrible kind of an equal measure depending on where uh on the this uh odyssey you landed but um yeah so i guess the probably the most obvious question this movie begs is like what the fuck's happening <laughs> how do you interpret this right like what do you guys think <laughs> i'm gonna give that face Will. <laughs> I'm yeah that i'm glad you guys can't see my face <laughs> <laughs> I guess the comments come up both in like what I've been reading and also within our group outside of like off um, screening that it is kind of like a Dante's Inferno in some respects. You know, you've got a guy who's trying to find his way through hell to essentially saw oh well to carry out a mission which for the sake of this film we find out is to place a bomb I guess to blow everything up. And he learns that he's not the only one, or I guess he already knew that. Uh, you you learn later that there's more of him that look like this little dude over, whoa, <laughs> sorry if I can point correctly, this little dude over here on the screen. 
um, with his gas mask on, very nondescript. You know, you don't really get to know him because he doesn't speak and you don't really see his face. Um, and I think they only refer to him as the assassin in the credits. And so he's just working his way through these various stages going deeper and deeper um, into this hellish landscape and eventually tries to complete his mission of setting off the bomb that's in his briefcase where others that came before him had failed and come to find out that that doesn't work his bomb catches the timer doesn't complete and it's just it's like stuck ticking back and forth with that last second remaining and I think what really threw me for a loop was when he's later like taken to this uh, you know this laboratory and his body is just dismembered or like his guts are all ripped up but it's not at first it's like really disturbing and then you're like why is it that his body is so full of all these random things like coins it was like a couch cushion yeah like, right? they were pulling out <laughs> and all Change, kinds of debris <laughs> jewelry yeah it was so wild and then that like weird little like like knock off David Lynch's like eraser head weird little baby thing creature worm thing that came out of him that I'm like that is <laughs> that is something else man so yeah it's it's strange it's like he's on this mission from this this man to try and blow up this whole world and I guess essentially start everything over again but that's that's the most that I could glean out of that which I don't know is how odd for because you in, in failing in that mission, like that seems to be what like I interpreted like kind of like what happens at the end to jump ahead a little bit. Like it seems mm -hmm. like when they squish the baby into like baby jelly and then like turn it into like baby <laughs> ore and turn the baby ore into a baby ingot uh, and throw it in the blast furnace. Like that's kind of what happens. Like it was very 2001, like Big Bang. Like mm -hmm. there was even like obelisk looking things like. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, felt like DiCaprio, you know, in the thing, oh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> pointing at my TV. Um, so it seems like that's what almost like what the uh, presumably the opposition does with like the baby he's carrying anyway, which is interesting. So, do you do you guys think that these were like warring factions or like like what's what's the deal with like the surface world and below? It opens with gunfire and like artillery shells and stuff like that. So it certainly kind of has that vibe like at first. That's but... true. Yeah. Artillery that cannot aim for anything to, <laughs> to hit that guy coming down. It would straight pod. down. <laughs> yeah. Especially for like the laser sighted stuff too. Like all the guns go up immediately. They're like, oh, something's coming. And then, yeah, you can't. You can't. They're like stormtroopers. They can't hit anything. So that is interesting though. So yeah. So if they're warring factions. And the guy up top, uh, up top, I guess, whoever designs the bombs, do you think it's intentional that they go down there and he's not able to complete his task? Or I mean, there's a lot of guys yeah. up there. So it's like he's planning for a really long, you know, maybe a long game there. But... Seems to be a war of attrition for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the motives are unclear. Like, is he just trying to end it all, like, once and for all? Like, like let's end everybody's suffering by blowing it up um mm -hmm. i yeah i haven't the slightest idea i was i was really like trying to rack my brain of like what motive could i um squeeze out or tease out from what limited exposure we have to that that scientist you know and i, I was like I, I don't know i i kind of like lean into the idea of 
even I, I do think that this is kind of a multiple sides scenario, but I don't think they necessarily really understand what the other is doing. And I think that often happens in war too. Um, because yeah. clearly the last man has his his agenda was sending down all these assassins and bombs that don't work and he just kind of has to keep doing this thing. Um, and then the, when they, when they zoom out on the hospital where they're operating, uh, on the, on the assassin, you see that they've done this with a bunch of them. Mm-hmm. So it seems like they're searching and searching and searching until they do find like the, the, the faux baby <laughs> finally, mm-hmm. <laughs> right. That's what they take and use to start, the the new world so i i think it's quite possible neither side really knows what what they're doing they just know Mm -hmm. this is my strategy and i'm going to keep at it until something gives something happens um going going back to what you said about dante and inferno i i found the detail about the map disintegrating very Mm -hmm. interesting um as well as the fact that you see later that that was like sewn by these two very like fate-like looking witch type characters. Um, Because if you think about Greek mythology and um, the role of the fates and people get sent on quests, uh, yeah, it's often for selfish reasons. Um, The the hero doesn't always know all that's going on and the gods themselves tend to be very selfish and, and wrathful and I think this also plays into the whole mad god title as well, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the the you know the fact that the map disintegrates is also just a reflection on the fact that this this side doesn't seem to care too much about uh, the assassin and uh, necessarily even how successful the whole journey is. Um, at least when Dante went down into the inferno, he had Virgil with him. There's no poets mm-hmm. in this world. <laughs> He sparked something. Oh, I, I kind of like the idea, like you, you, you just kind of sparked an idea in my head that like really like it if we're to interpret like that, like at the end, like there is like a new universe that's born out of all this that's maybe like a little bit hopeful potentially. Although I think like one of the last images is like a black hole, which isn't great uh <laughs> for an image of inspiring hope. Um, it is kind of interesting to think that maybe like whether they realize it or not like cooperation or resources from both worlds or maybe the knowledge from like one of those worlds and like the baby from the other is what what it really takes to like birth like this new world because you have the scientists below that are taking like the grub baby or whatever that was like from the world above and that's how they're able to finally kind of combine forces like you know through non-traditional cooperation i guess and and birth out a new world but i think that's kind of a cool interpretation is that like had they worked together perhaps things would have uh gone a little smoother and and be a little nicer Mm. um yeah it's uh, i also have an entirely opposite interpretation because this thing is so open to interpretation go for it please like i said uh and that's that this was this was in fact the bad ending that um you you see um the assassin descending through kind of like multiple very different planes like lower and lower and lower and like yeah he has a pretty big suitcase full of dynamite but that's not going to destroy the world i think at most that would destroy the plane that he's on with all of those scientists and doctors Mm -hmm. so it could be seen as the scientists and doctors are planning to end the world and so the assassin is going down to destroy them essentially mm, yeah um, 
<laughs> and then I, li- I like that too like i said your guess is as good as mine really truthfully but <laughs> that's kind of cool, yeah. whatever you want it to be yeah pretty much um which is i think a plus honestly like for for me anyway like i think that's in the um you know the pros column like if i'm doing like a pros and cons to tell you know this is what i how i feel about the movie i think being open to interpretation makes it a little more interesting um certainly uh makes it a little easier to talk about once you get rolling as as we're seeing already you know Mm -hmm. i think Mm -hmm. Um, since it is a creature feature episode, I, I do want to talk a little bit about some of the creature design. <laughs> Did you guys, either of you have like a favorite? Um, and again, I know like using words like favorite and enjoy is like, feels weird <laughs> <laughs> in the horror, uh, genre, but is there one that particularly struck you? I feel like the one that grabs the assassin was, I was, in, I was just mostly just trying to visually like look at all of it because there is so much of it and honestly if you ask me what it looked like now i couldn't tell you (laughs) because it's just this strange mass of all these different parts that sneak up on him very quietly and just pull him off and to go to the you know to go be experimented on and i don't know i just found that to be I don't know. I think I probably, if we're talking about enjoyment for the sake of like the perspective in the the film, I feel like I liked that because it was much more of the, yeah, you see a lot of um, sort of visually disturbing things up front, whereas this one was much more hidden in the shadows and snuck up on him, came up from behind and he didn't even recognize, like didn't even hear it. And so I think that's probably what I appreciated about that creature for whatever its purpose was beyond that. It was very uh, spider-like, but also reptilian. Yeah. yeah. I also can't picture it fully. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, it's hard. A lot of of blobby, Mm slime-ridden things. Goo. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Do you have a favorite one, May? Um, And it's not a... I, I mean, I guess you could characterize them as monsters based less on their behavior and more just on their quality. But the hairball people... Mm. <laughs> uh, yeah. Were, uh, yeah they, it was interesting because despite them being stick figures and having like the least detail probably any figure they also behave the most human of mm-hmm. any of the creatures down there um, and so like e- even though they're comically simple and like made of like hairballs and feces or whatever <laughs> uh, like it was it was genuinely a little sad when you'd see them get you know hit by an obelisk or something like that um, and of course, the monsters on those level, I, I think was probably eh, actually no, I can't I can't say there is a m- most viscerally grotesque monster because I'd, I'd have <laughs> at least four four tied for first place. But yeah, those are pretty gross. And I think the only ones that you see uh, the assassin like uh, really, really afraid of. Um, I also like that kind of plane because you, see the assassin like show some kind of sympathy for the like stick hairball people as well even though he knows he has a different mission to accomplish mm-hmm. yeah osha would have a field day in that place man like I, <laughs> most of them don't really react so, like they seem kind of oblivious but my favorite is the guy that's like oi to the train that's like <laughs> yeah like, coming out of, <laughs> and just gets obliterated like, he, he seems really put out like yo like <laughs> 
Yeah, I think for me, like the uh, towards the very end and like the the terrarium with like all the neon like fluorescent like um it's not really neon's the right word but like kind of fluorescent or bioluminescent like spider insect like that whole thing was probably like I liked the design there because it was a very stark contrast from the color palette of most of the rest of the movie. So it's like oh Mm. this is pretty. And then of course something terrible happens immediately. They're having a little picnic. And the dude lets out the the spider yeah. and it comes and snatches and it's like, oh, come on. Can we have a nice moment here? <laughs> There's been so much goo and slime and death and squishing and squashing and ripping out of stuff. I just, you know, just want to see somebody have a, a little picnic at the end. But um, yeah, but I did like that design. I thought it was really cool. Pretty. I also, cool. and I, I, I don't know if you'd call them a monster, but the, the figure with like the, the fancy hat and the, um, oh. Like, like yeah yeah that was like a, like the way they moved Dark Souls boss like, yeah was... the way they moved was so elegant compared to every, every other uh creature there it was interesting mm-hmm. um they almost floated you know like you'd see like all these wispy like um bits of their cost costume or you know cloak or whatever it is like kind of floating and flowing out from them i love that mm-hmm I also thought it was interesting that they like um I mean I, I I have a broader question here too but I thought it was interesting that the there were like little adornments on their their hat as well cuz you don't see much like in, intention put towards beauty in any of these spaces. It was like That's one true. of the few times I saw color or you know like spe- specific decoration of anything. Yeah. Um so do we think that that sets them apart from like uh like in terms of rank or something like that or importance or i kind of got the sense like that Mm -hmm. yeah they're behind this big door they're you know receiving like almost was like a sacrificial you know grub baby (laughs) from (laughs) one of the few human characters yeah yeah um it definitely sets them apart i'm not sure exactly how and if you can be like you know understand it to be a positive thing or not because i think in a a world like this something that seems beautiful or spiritual uh is is innately attractive even if it does is is bent on your destruction right Mm -hmm. um but it it does make them eye-catching well does anybody have anything you want to add before we move on to an american werewolf in london or side quest in an american werewolf in london i think more just a general question um so the last man, the one of the few characters who is actually a human uh, or played by a, a person in the film rather than stop motion is, oh, excuse me, is, um, I know that was kind of weird for a second there, is, uh, <laughs> I don't know, I, I always wonder about why you, when you get characters like that who like have their, they grow their fingernails out very long or like his toenails. <laughs> Yeah. Like for me, I thought, yeah, okay, you're the only you're the only guy here, so you you, you probably don't care. But that does not seem comfortable. I, mean, I don't know. It it always makes me think of like the Guinness Book of World Records when you see like the people with the longest fingernails ever and how long it must take to get them that way. And then also why you would do that? Like how can you can you can you do much with your hands at that point, or do you just have your your assassin guys, you know, do your <laughs> do your work? It doesn't for you. seem like a world that would. Uh everything is really grimy and and like i don't know <laughs> dangerous it doesn't seem like those nails would remain unbroken that's just me unless they're made of sterner stuff and 
the keratin that our fingernails are but it seems I was like gonna say, it doesn't seem like there's much in the way of like vitamins and nutrients in this world and like you gotta have a pretty well-rounded diet to grow out nails like that uh <laughs> so uh unrealistic perhaps but i'm glad you brought that up will because i think it does kind of set him up as a foil to the uh like crow mask character that you see because they're that's true the yeah. two characters that kind of like put intention into the way they appear uh in a way that isn't solely utilitarian right i i will also say as someone who occasionally wears acrylics it is not as hard as you'd think to do stuff in them um, okay okay nice you you Very adapt <laughs> <laughs> well people nice. in this insane world seem to be good at that at least uh for as gritty and slimy as it is the i won't say that they seem to be doing all right but uh they manage you know <laughs> Nothing, right. whatever their goals are it seems like they're, they're working towards them i guess but, well, very nice hairball that gets burned up in the incinerator because you yeah. leaned over too far <laughs> yeah it's gonna break a few eggs to make an omelet you know what i mean <laughs> Ooh, there are a lot of those that got broken <laughs> there also seems to be a lot of poop up above uh generating them so <laughs> yeah for real like a continuous stream in that one room where all the dudes are set up and being electrocuted and yeah Ooh. anyway so, on that lovely note <laughs> here's the million dollar question before we move on would you recommend this movie to somebody like um I would. I know. I think I would definitely. There'd be a little caveat, probably. Yeah. If, hey, <laughs> it is completely devoid of dialogue and it is more of a mood. You know, it's a tone piece. It's a very long tone piece. But if you like stop motion animation, I would tell somebody, like, give it a go. Absolutely. But how about y'all? Could we also quote you on the side of the cover and say, it's a mood screen quest? Yeah. <laughs> it's a vibe. <laughs> uh, I would recommend it only to someone I knew very well who I knew would fuck with this, basically. <laughs> um, nice. Otherwise... I'll I'll think it's praise is technical praises to anyone, but um, yeah, gotta 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 be the right kind of person to enjoy this. I think. Yeah, I would never tell my mom, for example, to watch this, even though I know she <laughs> likes horror and like would she likes certain things. Like my mom would, I can tell you right now, would hate this like with a fiery passion. <laughs> I, yep. I hope my mom isn't even listening to this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, I was still, I was debating. Um, no, I think I think sort of the consensus with you guys is that it would there would be caveats. It would be going into it just knowing what you what to expect. Kind of like um, not to the same extent, but I will say like 2001. Since we've already sort of compared a little bit there, um, because that is also another example of a film that we've talked about in this, you know, in our series, that is atmospheric in a lot of ways. There is there's a little bit more understanding, I feel like, of plot in that film. But the idea that you go into it where you're not going to know everything that's going on, you have to interpret a lot and make up your own decision about what's happening and I'm um, also the caveat of if you are not averse to seeing a lot of shit depicted on screen um, through stop motion, then yeah, sure. Give it a, give it a go. <laughs> tell, tell me your thoughts. But... General goose and slimes and viscera. Yeah. Yeah. Torture <laughs> and yeah, blood and guts. So cool. Well, very nice. 
let's have a, a brief little interlude and draw. We've made brand new um, side quests for Scream Quest. These are all going to be one-offs. So once it's drawn, it's out of the pile. So there'll, there'll be no repeats. Um, and I think we have one more card than we have episode planned. So it's uh, it'll be exciting to see what our last one is. So our first card is First Blood. And <laughs> just to remind my uh, co-host and to let the audience know, the prompt for this one is the following. Talk about the first film that truly terrified you, even if it wasn't necessarily a horror movie. So <laughs> there is your first uh, prompt. We can just go quickly like around the table um, and talk a little bit about that. Nice. Remember, we can uh, compare this down if we need to. I was going to say, I've already talked about Jaws and E.T., so, uh, no. <laughs> um, you know, truthfully, it probably was a... I saw a clip of Poltergeist when I was a kid, and I think it was when the little... Because there's, like, a scene in Poltergeist where, like, tendrils come out of a TV or something. Is that right? Am I thinking of the right film? Because I've never actually seen Poltergeist. <laughs> Oh, really? Like the whole um, way through. There's definitely a TV involved. I don't know about tendrils out. Uh, I mean, there's like ghostly tendrils, like kind of like yeah. wispy stuff at one bit. Um, like and there's tries some to other... grab the kid and pull him in or something, or mm, that's more. Maybe I think about something else. There's a, a a scene involving like a toy clown in a closet uh, and some other stuff that happens in a bedroom. That there's there's some grabby pulling kids in and stuff like that uh in a tree there there's a tree that uh, if, look if you've never seen poltergeist full stop before we go any further um great pick great pick yep. for um a halloween like movie it's mm -hmm. i think technically pg but i think this was like pre-pg 13 so it's okay. very intense it's a movie you watch and you're like fucking hell like they rated this pg it's like well there was no pg 13 but it's toby hooper of uh, texas chainsaw massacre fame and oh, um, wow. it is it is incredible that movie holds up so well uh famously like kind of sort of ghost directed by steven spielberg which a lot of people have said is not really fair like he, he was giving a lot of notes um but it has that kind of like classic spielbergian like mm -hmm. family kind of thing um with a heaping dollop of terror so anyway continue uh so no, tell good. me the story you, you saw it on tv like a bit of it and you were like nope I think it was late at night, it was on TV, and maybe this is not the film then, because there was something about, like, there was a TV that was on in, like, a dark room, and there were these tendrils that were coming out, or something was coming out trying to grab this kid and pull him in, and something about that just really scared me. Uh, oh, I don't know how young I was, but it was just the thought of, like, something that would come out of, I don't know, out of our television, or just in general at night from somewhere, and pull me into the ether, and so, yeah. That was that was pretty much it. The dark there were was two very sequels, to be fair. It could have been one of those. Like I, I oh, seen nice. them, okay. so maybe it was one of the, the sequels. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> That's a great pick though, regardless. Uh and I can see why that would be scary. Something very familiar doing something scary is uh, it's always a good starting place. Yeah. How about you, May? Um my genuine answer is also I have no idea what movie it is. It was like at a friend's sleepover uh her older sister was also like having a sleepover and watching movies and their door was open i passed by and there was just like this really grotesque like contorted woman's face screaming and i just noped out of there um <laughs> but uh i have no idea what movie that was so the other answer is the little toaster 
Oh, <laughs> oh great little toaster. Oh, yeah. The little toaster. Oh, awesome. yeah. That was scary. Oh my god. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. I I I was like thinking recently that I was just being fragile and sensitive when I got freaked out by that. And I went to like go watch it again and I was like oh no this has like existential terror in it <laughs> like <laughs> oh yeah yeah no joke it's like kind of a proto or uh you know like a precursor to toy story in a lot of way like it's darker I think than toy story it's but, yeah. way darker I could never look at my toaster the same way <laughs> um what I need to do or need you to do may um and i'm oh, no. definitely going to insert a photo of this regardless uh <laughs> go into your web browser right now okay uh, and i want you to google uh image search the following zelda like like the video game character pet Uh-oh. cemetery and cemetery Boy. is with an s and tell me if that is the is contorted gonna, is this going to mess up my search history <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, I mean, it's just a, it's a, just a very well-known um, part of Pet Cemetery that fucked a lot of people up. It so, might be. Yeah. Okay. I'm yeah, I think that's little, it. Yeah, that's um, <laughs> a lot of people were completely. So the character I think has spinal meningitis and it like there, there's a sequence in, in pet cemetery where the i think it's the wife of, or the mom of the family is like remembering like kind of the shame of like being terrified of her own sister because she's all contorted and mm. um any event uh okay um well that that photo is going in <laughs> just for anyone who's not been blessed enough to see that it is a very terrifying part of the movie so i can see why that would be scary if that is indeed what you uh kind of saw you know through the doorway or whatever oh thank you for uh, solving a lifelong mystery of mine chris (laughs) (laughs) i live but to serve (laughs) um yeah for for me i'm trying to think like i got into horror so young and i will say admittedly my my mom and dad like they didn't censor me uh much they kind of let me watch what they felt like I could handle and if it seemed like it was a bit much then they would kind of slide that scale back a little bit but I probably saw some shit that I shouldn't have seen like maybe <laughs> quite so young um I think The Shining is probably gotta be one of the first if not the first though I think I was like nine or ten when I saw that and um yeah there um in particular I think um the the twins like really like the bits where he's riding around on the tricycle and the twins pop up Mm. Uh, because you know mind you i had no knowledge of like popular culture of this thing at the time so like all of that you know like right i had like no frame of reference they were just like oh this movie the shining is like one of the scariest movies and I think they forgot there was full frontal nudity. So I had to like cover my eyes for that. Like on my parents' <laughs> insistence. Uh, they were also slightly, I think, appalled by how much uh, language there was in it. I don't think they had recalled that. Like, because it had been years and years since they had seen that. Um, but also like the train was already rolling. And uh, boy, anytime <laughs> I was walking around the house, like at night and nobody else was up, like I was, I was tiptoeing. I, I would peer around corners if I was going down a different hallway. Like I did not want to see those twins, you know? So I, I don't know if that's the example, but that's certainly the one that really sticks out. Um, probably a bit young for, for the shining, but 
it's okay. It's one of my favorite movies ever now. So nice. Did you ever have a problem with elevators? Ooh. No, oddly enough, no, uh, no elevators or bathtubs really. Um, I was more petrified by the shower scene in Psycho, which was probably not too long after I saw that. Like, never w- worried about baths, but like, I'd be in the shower, like shampooing my hair, like eyes are closed, and then I'd have like, like, all right, what if you know, what what, what if somebody's <laughs> gonna come in here and get me? Yeah. Uh, it's always that weird um, thing that makes no sense, you know, especially when you're younger uh, for stuff like that. Like we've established uh, sharks in the the deep end of the swimming pool, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's why you always lock your bathroom door, though, man. That's why you always lock the bathroom door. (laughs) That's right. You know, absolutely. I uh, agree 100%. (laughs) Well, thank you, as always, uh, for sharing, y'all. And that brings us to the second film of our creature feature, which is An American Werewolf in London, uh, 1981. Uh, I think we said directed by John Landis. And uh, I'm curious, uh, as always, like initial impressions. If this is your first time, let me know that. And then just what did you think? So start with May again on this. <laughs> um, it's funny because my opinion changed within like an hour of seeing it. Because when I when it first ended, I was like, oh, my God, that was so stereotypical. And I was like i i got that the it was intentionally jarring between the 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 yeah the horrific bits <laughs> and the <laughs> comedic bits um and i i do maintain that i think it was trying to do a little bit too much with like also like having the romantic plot line in there and like all the comedic horror stuff um but I look back on some scenes now. I'm like, yeah, that was that was pretty camp. Like, <laughs> I think I'd probably enjoy it more watching it again than watching it the first time. Yes, go ahead, Will. I liked it. I thought it was entertaining. I liked it. Um, I was surprised that it took that it built up as much as it did until you actually see the protagonist turn into the werewolf. I didn't expect that, and then just how much it just ended so suddenly very much like bonnie and clyde like okay we're done (laughs) you know and so and especially when it it's it even like the introduction felt much more immersive as you're seeing like the countryside and you're getting introduced to your characters and you know the credits are going and then suddenly you know versus like the very end where it's like okay no he's dead (laughs) so yeah no but overall i the sort of the points that have already been talked about you know the campiness the humor but also then like suddenly like the horror of okay somebody just got dismembered or there's blood or you know the the transformation so but i i, I sort of anticipated that it to some degree that it would be that just because it felt like it would be a film like horror around that time tended to go for both of those and uh, so yeah no overall though i really liked it yeah, the first time I saw this was on Comedy Central, I think, which I you know tweeted out, which is such an odd. Um, <laughs> I think that's why I was specifically attracted to it because like I had heard of it in horror circles and probably seen it at the video store, but I was like, why is this on Comedy <laughs> Central? And this is like the heyday of like South Park and you know all kinds of um, variety programming, but like very much like comedy and. 
even though it was censored for content a little bit, uh, immediately understood, you know, watching, I was like, Oh, I, I totally get this. Um, and then I was surprised at how gory it was when I like rented the videotape and watched it like off of cable television, Mm-hmm. Uh, was like oh okay this is a little bit bloodier than um what's there but the transformation scene was intact completely um except nice. for maybe like a shot or two of like his butt like maybe he was <laughs> like kind of pared down um you, you know how we are in america like you can watch somebody get like dismembered and everything else but like you show an ass or a, a boob like no way no um, no <laughs> uh but anyway uh but the transformation scene was just so impressive to me uh you know even as somebody who was probably like i don't know 12-ish um just the the practical effects and how painful you know like a lot of times i feel like up to that point when i've seen like werewolf transformations uh it was usually like very quick uh, not very visceral sometimes you'd see a little bit in the shadows and like to see like the hands like stretching out and like the bones popping up on his like, back and it's screaming right like it, like just i mean he sells it out of that being really uncomfortable actor and um that's the still the thing i think a lot of people when they think of this movie that's one of the first things that comes to mind is like that that transformation um just amazing amazing stuff so um i like it's one of my favorite i'm, I'm unabashedly like um just a huge fan of this uh movie and if they ever bring it back around because it's they've had one repeat already but uh this is probably the best halloween horror nights like uh non-original ip house that they've ever had specifically because of the attention to detail like when you walk into like the house it is the like the opening room is the slaughtered lamb and everything Mm. is incredibly faithful and realistic but they had the original molds still intact for the wolves and they created like all these unique puppets i think that took like six or seven people a piece and they lunge out at you and everything is moving in a very realistic like scary ass way like and it comes from unexpected directions and it was just such an impressive house if you can find a youtube video to kind of see like a little bit of what it looks like inside but they uh right down to the porn theater which they kind of blur out i think when you're walking <laughs> through there like uh uh but, but yeah um so if they ever bring it back uh it's worth going down just to to experience that but um i digress um I think one of the uh, things I, wa- I kind of wanted to talk about is like what sets this apart from like other like werewolf movies. And I think the comedy is certainly one aspect, but I think like the mythology of itself and how a lot of the things unfold. So where I wanted to kind of start is like the dream sequences, which I think are some of the more interesting bits of like the movie as his body's adjusting to what's happening inside. Um, what did you make of some of those? And there's one in particular that really, I think stands out for a lot of people and they just were like, what the fuck is happening? But did you, did you guys like that? Did it, it strike a chord with you at all? I don't know if like is the word I would use. <laughs> did you find it interesting? How about that? Yeah. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I mean, I think it's a, a human response, especially like, I think if something terrible has happened to you, it's going to naturally bring up whatever other fears you've had in your life or might be kind of like latently in the back of your brain. Um, so it, it felt like a very human response, um, but also just very jarring against the rest of the film. Um, and like, a, I don't think they were trying to like make light of like a, you know, Nazi invasion of your home or that kind of thing, but it did feel kind of out of place. Yeah. Um, 
so they discussed this specifically on the uh, the Shutter uh, 101 scariest movie moments. That dream with, and then like the fake out within the dream is one of the sequences mm-hmm. that they picked. Yeah. Um, I think some of like the Nazi like symbolism was probably like some were a little closer to to World War II um, at that point, and presumably like his father may have like fought or something like that in World War II. But I think a lot of what it came down to was just like his body's trying to adjust to like what's going on. And similar to like when you have like a fever dream when you're sick, I don't know if you've ever been through that. It's, it's wild the kind oh, of stuff yeah. your brain manufacturer. I think his brain is like just compounding all the most horrible things he can think of, like into this weird melange of like just grotesque violence. I mean, even like the, I, I don't know if you would call them creatures really, but like the design of like are so weird. And uh, as you said, uh, like, a little out of place but i think i chalk that up to maybe like just the surreal way that his brain is trying to process it. like it does his body feel is, like, going very through. dreamlike and i didn't i uh i did appreciate the fake out because that's another thing that i find is more at least for me i i am more likely to like think i'm awake when i'm not if i'm like sick and having fever dreams uh before i forget did you catch that the american um kind of dweeb that is talking to him from the embassy that is frank oz who's the voice yeah. of yoda and miss piggy um it's oh. a nice little cameo his voice I didn't you can realize. Hear mr yeah. kessler you know like when he's talking because <laughs> <laughs> um, i caught his name in the credits i'm like who is uh let's see if i can figure out who it was and then he talked and i was like that's gotta be that's him good, yep. yeah. <laughs> yeah. um but I, I think probably the other bit that like really to me like sets this apart um from a lot of werewolf movies is the the idea of like the undead like uh victims like in like the limbo state and talking like those bits i really really love because it kind of it humanizes what he's going through a little bit and he's kind of directly confronted with like his actions you know even though he doesn't remember what's happened i thought it was just really interesting and it's like that concept is just every time i watch it i'm like this is such a brilliant like creative way to and and again seemingly out of place the first time you watch it but what an interesting way to have him bounce some of what he's going through off of like somebody you know what'd you guys think of that it was it's very interesting for me just because of how layered things became for me at least in that scene because uh first off shout out to the fx team because the makeup they did on jack is just stunning um and how it just gets you know more and more decayed every time he comes back up but the first time that you see jack come on screen and like how he's still being very tongue-in-cheek and then just suddenly is like oh by the way you also you know have to to smell yourself um (laughs) like is it's very jarring it almost feels like he's saying it as a joke at first and i think the audience like david is incredulous like no not not doing that um and then when you get to the theater scene it hits you that well no not only was he like being earnest in that moment uh there's all these other people that appear and pop up so like that that request and like the weight of that request becomes real at the same time you're in this porno theater (laughs) and it's just ridiculous (laughs) and it's like you're laughing at that you're laughing at the kind of like 
British sensibility and humor of the victims as they're quipping back and forth. Uh, but I, I think you're also kind of laughing with the sheer horror of finally realizing the gravity of the situation and just how fucked up it is. Um, so yeah, a very layered moment for me and unsettling in a good way, I guess. Yeah, there's some humility to like Jack, I think, where he's like, do you mind? He's a friend. Like, he's like <laughs> almost kind of telling them like, like, all right, go easy. Like, we're not asking him to do something easy. Like, he he seems to understand, you know, that it's not an easy decision to make and um, has empathy, like even from the afterlife, which is, I think, again, like it, it just, it adds a little bit of, bit of extra um, to what those scenes could be. It could just be like a Jacob Marley, like, haunting him like kill yourself you know and instead right. like, there's a lot of humanity i think in those scenes i do my favorite line of the movie is probably i didn't mean to call you a meatloaf jack when he's transforming <laughs> <laughs> it always makes me howl <laughs> um i was curious why jack slowly like decays more and more like he's already dead but yet his body is still like by the end he's he's very obviously very animatronic but also very cool and animatronic at the end um, in his last form that you see before everything unfolds with the transformation. Um, so anything more to that? I mean, he says that everyone's pretty much trapped in limbo until the surviving werewolf is killed. So why would he still decay? Maybe that's just like the state of being and part of what makes it so unpleasant is that like you're mm state of being in limbo is mirroring probably what's happening to happening to your body in like the real world right mm -hmm. so like the longer it's been since like your demise the more soupy the, the more you would fit in, in the world of mad god i guess <laughs> <laughs> no, i think it's just because it's the grossest way to depict it and that's what they True, were going yeah. for <laughs> <laughs> which yeah no definitely the uh the special effects in that movie are great like the makeup is amazing so especially like the first the time that you see jack and he's just like got skin just hanging off the side of his neck that just jiggles every time he talks and i'm like this is ugh. like it's cringy for me just because like you when you suspend that disbelief to think about that but it was really it was spot on um i think the it's good in the sense that you I'm trying to think about it. in answer to your question since I kind of deflected it um <laughs> how I feel about that I guess those scenes in particular um I'm trying to think if there's anything that I would really add to what's already been talked about because I think it is interesting how you know you get the evidence uh because it to some degree I mean you sort of wonder if maybe um you know maybe David is just going crazy um up until you obviously people are like when he does go around and start murdering people um but you you think that maybe i don't know he's had some weird dreams maybe they'll he would try to suspend disbelief a little bit more um that it's a little bit more ambiguous but i think for him his character needed to see you know what he did because he couldn't remember anything that had happened when he transformed and so to actually have the evidence there and to realize what you know how substantial it was but yeah just the effect of that on him for what he knew needed to happen at the end did you have a particular scene that stood out to either of you that was like a, a favorite or you know even like little humorous moments um 
I'll tell you like one of my stupid ones is like it's very Monty Python-esque is the uh, one of the detectives like knocks over the tray of like the little surgical like bowls and he's like like a puzzle trying to put them back in the <laughs> ascending sizes like it's such a fucking British I don't know like um moment like it's like I said it, you could put John Cleese there and you'd be right at home doing that you know like just the physical comedy of it but uh, yeah do you either do you have any moments that you really liked in the movie that we haven't talked about I guess you guys mentioned that it does a good job of setting the mood but I just I love I love the pub when they first walk in and yeah. they they even see the sign and they're like this is kind of a weird sign and I guess it's David who's like no it's fine it'll be great and they go in and um I, I just love how committed everyone in the pub is to staring them down, staring them into their souls. Um, and the dialogue with the um, bar lady is pretty funny. It's like, no, but I can make you some with the tea. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, they do a shitty job of blending in because if you're trying to like blend in and not be suspicious, like the worst thing you could do is just like get super quiet when everyone walks in and they're immediately suspicious you know seeming <laughs> i think of that but it works like i think there's a nice little atmosphere there and of course like everything like starts to kind of settle down and then of course jack's like hey what's that on the wall <laughs> and it just goes quiet again. you're like oh my god why it just yeah just it, it felt so aggressively american abroad who doesn't know what they're doing <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> I really like the doctor because yes. he's so just very straightforward about everything and he doesn't like anything that happens he's not really phased by it um like when he's asking about where David's at he's asking um oh my gosh what's the Alex Price there. right yeah, yeah Alex when he's asking her at the end about where if she has seen David recently and they've been hooking up like right after he got discharged from the hospital. <laughs> She's like really hesitant to mention anything. And he just like, he's like glosses over it. Like, it's not a big deal. Just like, okay, where's he at? Okay. Well, what's the number to your apartment? <laughs> you know, so we can call and make sure if he's okay over there, you know, that just, I don't know. I just really appreciated how very calm and straightforward he was and everything that happened with maybe the exception of whoever he was really chapped off about who kept calling him at the beginning um but no, he <laughs> was like passed on or whatever yeah <laughs> tell him dead <laughs> uh, but he was just he was so i don't know it just it, it felt very reassuring every time he was there I'm like i hope he doesn't die i feel like he will probably die but i like his character and i appreciate that he is here to help you know be the calm voice of reason to some extent while he's trying to figure out what's going on and help david so he seems like a good doctor like he's curious like he takes what what his patient says seriously and like investigates it right like there's a lot of qualities i think that are super admirable like even if he doesn't fully buy the werewolf angle like he, he doesn't want to let it go right he want he he's like yeah there's some about this doesn't make sense and he seems genuinely concerned about david not just like people that he might harm but david himself which is like i think kind of endears you to him a little bit right he's obviously way more engaged like actually in the in the story here but just his kind of like tone and demeanor does remind me a little bit of a narrator from rocky horror the kind of mm. like forensic analyst guy <laughs> yes i could totally see that absolutely <laughs> Yeah. Um, probably the only other scene I would mention that um I, I think is like really well acted because uh 
really like if you come down to like the technical side of it he's probably talking to nobody on the phone but david naughton with his like last phone call to his sister uh, I always find really touching and kind of heartbreaking, you know, again, he's probably not acting to anybody. He's probably just holding up the empty phone and kind of like in that movie way, like letting you know what's being said by maybe being a little more expressive than you normally would be on the phone. But I think that scene really works and it always kind of breaks my heart a little bit. Um, Especially like the, uh, obviously you don't hear the like sister's dialogue, but it does. It sounds very authentic to how you would try to talk to a small child about something like that. Yeah, He's I like, think actually no, I'm not a ten and a half that, either. Right? You know, you could yeah. you could almost hear her going, "I'm ten and a half." You know, as a kid, a precocious kid would do. But sorry, well, I didn't mean to catch y'all. No, no, you're good. I was just uh, I wanted to agree with you. I'm glad you guys brought that up because I feel like this what this is one of those rare horror movies where I I feel like the characters are like they feel real. They feel like people you would talk to that you would actually meet, and you care about their interactions with each other more than just like okay well people are gonna die and whatever but now you're actually like you're invested in what's gonna happen and so i think that makes it even more i don't know like i was really surprised that it just ended as suddenly as it ends at the after all this build-up and i'm like oh what you know and so it's so the tail uh, end of new hollywood man so we yeah. talked about those on the the you know bonnie and clyde episode that was the flavor of the day no denouement we're just going to shock you and get your ass out of the theater and think about it out there you know, <laughs> on the streets. Yeah. I remember being surprised too. Um, first time I saw that, um, it was shocking. Again, it's sad. Like their um, sort of final image of him, you know, like transformed back right to, you know, like and they cut off just as nurse price starts crying and you feel bad at first and then you remember eh, she'll find another patient next week uh, <laughs> yeah, she says it's not like a regular thing and even dave's like i hope so. do I you hope believe not. her <laughs> i don't believe I don't, her i don't know i don't know i i mean um that that element of it feels very like 1980s like that the weird like overly long sex scene very 80s uh, <laughs> like, oh yeah for sure um it's like yeah this is the guy that directed animal house if you guys didn't know that um and, yeah nice. so but well uh let's wind things down by just quickly talking about what we've been watching even if it's not horror related i know to the uh, uh just unplugging my mic uh <laughs> by accident um even you know for uh, the bulk of our episodes are going to be horror focused um just curious what you guys have been watching well, uh, I actually have been watching more horror recently, uh, so much so that my Apple Watch thinks I have a heart issue. Uh <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> but uh, yeah, in addition to these two, I watched Crimson Peak for the first time because mm -hmm. uh, I love my my good old fashioned gothic literature. And I was told it's kind of a, a mix of The Fall of the House of Usher and uh, Jane Eyre. And I, I guess like spoiler alert, but it is it is like you seamlessly just combined those two. Like it, it's 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 um pretty direct and overall enjoyable, very high production value. It has uh Tom Hiddleston in it and like you know, great cast. Uh writing ironically left a little bit to be desired. They did actually use some quotes from I think Jane Eyre, which were great, but the dialogue around it was then kind of like noticeably different um 
but overall enjoyable. My main qualm is just that the protagonist is herself a horror writer and yet somehow ends up in the exact position that she has definitely read about in all of these gothic horror novels. <laughs> kind of like Nev Campbell and Scream critiquing how dumb female yeah. protagonists are in horror movies and then doing the same exact thing that she just railed against. Yeah. It's exactly that, but gothic tragic romance. <laughs> mm, that's uh, Mr. Del Toro, right? Guillermo Del Toro? Yes, and it's also yeah. extremely Guillermo del Toro. <laughs> okay. Um, I have not seen it, I'll confess. I've always been curious, but I heard it was pretty bloody at times, or am I thinking of something else? Uh, yeah, it gets a little stabby. Okay. <laughs> I might be thinking of something else. There I there was some movie I know that was like kind of pushed it, but I don't I don't maybe I'm confusing that with um so uh, the this isn't a spoiler, but the like uh family estate is built on this ground that has this like red uh mineral deposit or something that's valuable and they're trying to figure out how to get it up out of the earth. And it looks like blood during the winter because it wells up and then get like mixes with the snow. So it looks a lot Ooh. bloodier than it is because of this okay. mineral or kind That's of thing. Cool. Very, Very gothic. Nice. I'll have to I'll have to add that to the to the list. But you will anything uh, interesting? Uh mostly just catching up on Andor, watching Star Wars. Um, because one, I loved Rogue One. And so I was excited to see where they wanted to take this. And I've only gone about two, no, I made it three episodes in. So I um, I think it started out strong. I think it's falling into the trap of getting a little too slow to try and flesh out stuff that you may or may not really need. Uh, but I think that's sort of the, that's the fine line that so many streaming, like so many shows for streaming these days sort of try to, you know, you, you want to try and have something to fill in that story and make it interesting, but not necessarily feel like everything has to be like shooty, shooty, bang, bang all the time. And so I don't know, the jury's still out, but also the season's not done yet. So I can't, I don't, I don't want to spoil anything, obviously. Um, but yeah, it's entertaining. I'll, I'll see it through kind of the same way I, I've felt about the Lord of the Rings you know it was it's interesting enough that I want to see where they want to take it and I am open to how they want to stick the landing so we'll see how it goes uh, yeah, of I... the recent Star Wars projects I probably heard the most praise for Andor so mm -hmm. I'm excited to start it myself yeah big same and I think my biggest complaint in general with art like these days tv movies like video games is like sometimes less is more like i do feel like there's like a temptation to like quantity over quality sometimes um i've i've felt that way about a lot of shows recently where like say it's eight episodes like six would have done better like mm -hmm. i think it would have been a tighter story with like just as much impact um but uh as you said that's kind of a sign of the times a little bit there's that temptation to like a little over a little overstuffed right yeah. Um, but I'm excited to check that out. That sounds cool, man. Yeah. Uh, I um, am still continuing with House of the Dragon. Uh, mm. I'm <laughs> still enjoying it. I just got to the time jump episode, but I haven't watched it yet. So I'm like a couple of weeks behind. Uh, Marianne and I have been watching What We Do in the Shadows because we had a, about a season and a half of backlog of that. And it's perfect time of year for that. Of course, just an amazing, funny ass TV show um and not horror themed but uh boy i 
I've gotten so lucky this year. I've discovered two great movies that like are instantly like in like my favorites ever. And one was Dog Day Afternoon. The second was Once Upon a Time in the West, which just blew me away. Like I I was just gobsmacked by how good it was. Um, I don't know why it took me so long to watch it. I think I tried to start it like a year ago and like I often do, I was a little too tired and Sergio Leone is a big fan of lots of very long drawn out scenes with no dialogues, especially at the beginning of the movie. So you have to like really want it. And then like, once it gets rolling, it's, it's an amazing roller coaster. But um, yeah, I think the opening of once upon a time West is like around 12 minutes and there's like hardly a word spoken in that <laughs> 12 minutes, but great, great, great movie. Um, I can, I think it's, if I had to peg the one that influenced Tarantino the most of his, like that's the one I would pick after watching. And I'm like, yep, I can see where so much of this has popped up in Tarantino's work. So it makes sense mm-hmm. that I would like it. Um, other than that, I just, I've really been like, man, uh, enjoying my shutter subscription, like the 101 scariest movie moments of all time. It's just been a blast. I'm looking forward to starting queer for fear at five bucks a month, like I think, man, the value proposition of that service and like how much work they've done to really build a nice, like curated collection, um, especially for October, uh, man, it's, it's, it's been great. So <laughs> I highly recommend if, even if you're just going to have it for a month or two, like five bucks, like two thumbs up, there's a lot of cool stuff there. Um, and it is, this like, is not a, a sponsored podcast, though. It is like, not no a sponsored podcast, but, <laughs> but Shutter, you know, if you want to open up the, I will work for, for food and, and swag and I, I can't speak for my co-host, but I would assume they would probably also work for food and swag. So, And money. Yeah, see, money's great. I'm just saying like, <laughs> if money's on the table, like food and oh, swag is, is also cool. But <laughs> You just put a big shutter logo over my head for this. It'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, be like Mike Wazowski and yeah, fucking yeah. Monsters Inc. <laughs> just a, the shutter logo over Wednesdays. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Well, now that's going in um for at least like the last also, well, yeah. I don't know what you're I don't know what you're reaching for, but when you're reaching, it looked like you're sticking your finger in his ear. <laughs> in the background oh nice you're just like <laughs> you're really yeah. getting in there <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. great yeah. <laughs> on brand really yep um so cool i think that's pretty much gonna do her for this week uh <laughs> our next week's episode is going to feature a very special guest isaac thorne horror author uh, very excited to have Isaac on, and we will be doing uh, a new category that we've called Ha Ha Ah, which is a uh, horror comedy, um, you know, category, I guess, for lack of a better word, we're going to be uh, analyzing two uh, films that feature both horror and comedy, which I think is just a great combination um, when it when done well. So more to come you, on what those films will be. Oh, go ahead. But you, you have a say in what those films are going to be, right? If you, you vote yes. on our mm-hmm. Twitter page at ScreenQuestPod, I think the yes. poll should still be up when this comes out, right? Yep, it'll still be up. Um, so yeah, that's, that's your opportunity to have a little influence on what we discuss on the show. So Isaac will be bringing a film of his choice. Um, should I say what his movie is or should I save it? Nah, I'll I'll surprise like, him. Surprise him. That's right. Okay. Uh, yeah, we'll announce it, um, on Friday so that you have 
um, you know, some time before the episode, you'll have the weekend, we'll say to, to be able to watch it. But uh, Isaac has nominated a film and then you, the listeners will decide what that other double feature film will be by voting on the um, Twitter poll, which is really kind of cool. I've enjoyed that. We still have a little bit of chaos, uh, you know, week to week. <laughs> and uh, last I checked, all the options are tied. Although for some reason, one of them gets like a single percentage more, even though the number of votes is the same. I checked. So um, that's weird. Someone's cheating. Someone's paying mm. Twitter to get ahead. Not me, but. <laughs> Not <me. laughs> Fantastic. Uh, well, we hope you enjoyed this uh, first of our very special uh, limited run October series. I, I think this has been fun for me. Um, hopefully you guys are enjoying it as well. Manuel. Um, Hell yeah. Different. And uh, I like it because it kind of gives me, it takes a little bit of the decision factor out of like some of my spooky watching. So good stuff. <laughs> well, thanks uh, to all you listeners for tuning in. If you are new to the podcast, please follow us at uh, Screen Quest Pod on Twitter. Interact with us on social media. We love that kind of stuff. And until next week, we love you. Bye. Bye, Bye guys. <laughs>